What is going on, people? Welcome to another episode of Daniel's Den. I'm your host, Daniel Pasley. So we're just going to talk about the Coach of the Year race. Uh, this is something that's been on my mind in terms of uh, topics to talk about, just because I feel it was a real interesting race in terms of the top three that I had. Um, obviously, I'm going to go into um, why I had, um, just to start off with, Budenholzer out in Milwaukee, uh, Nick Nurse, and um, Billy Donovan. I thought those three were guys just in the front running, especially because Milwaukee was on pace to win 70 games. Um, and obviously the last couple of games, they lost a few games there. But um, yeah, they, they had a great run. Um, OKC obviously having with uh, CP coming in and being a guy that didn't necessarily prove that he was healthy in the past few years, but had shown otherwise. And obviously the other pieces on that, on that team have kind of been uh, – rejuvenated that uh culture there in a in a way and uh, lastly with nick nurse obviously a championship team it's weird to think that a championship team wouldn't necessarily have a uh, postseason aspirations according to a lot of people in terms of uh what they had but obviously nick nurse and co has uh shown why the raptors obviously this is if the season were to go on but um this kind of shows um they kind of showed excuse me uh, why you know this this team was much more than just having one superstar. So let's dive into what made this race so special. So just looking at the teams themselves, um, Milwaukee Bucks is a team that won sixty games. Obviously last year, for those of us that watched the series with Toronto and obviously leading up to that, um, people kind of envisioned them uh, representing the East in the NBA Finals, of course, Kawhi and the Raptors had other plans, obviously made game-to-game adjustments, which in a way kind of exposed uh, a lot of the flaws, not only in Giannis's game, but in terms of the game plan of the Milwaukee Bucks, which led to, to their prevalent run. And uh, to me, I, I definitely say that, obviously this year, looking at the numbers, Giannis did have a great year, um, averaging nearly 30 a game. Uh, about 13 rebounds and six assists. Um, but um, obviously he's a guy that you look at and you say he's a generational type player in the, in the moment. And even down the line, he has the potential to be, uh, he's a six eleven guy that doesn't necessarily do a lot of things that six eleven guys do and him primarily playing the four and having that downhill ability definitely poses a threat to a lot of teams. But obviously with that happening, a lot of people were kind of skeptical of what this team would have to offer in terms of outside of him, in terms of the the point guard position, just because I thought Malcolm Brogdon leaving was a big factor, um, especially because I felt due to Giannis's dribble drive ability, I think it opened up things for Brogdon and also allowed for Milwaukee to have a kind of a security blanket in terms of what they could play behind um Eric Bledsoe, who, who's been a guy that doesn't necessarily um, step up in ways that many people think he can, or he, can, or he has shown that, I should actually say, because he's obviously been a guy that's been a very good player on a really bad Phoenix team and kind of wanted out. And then obviously in Milwaukee, he's been, he's shown flashes of uh, what he was and what he can be, but I honestly don't think that he's necessarily going to be a number one guy or number two guy especially just looking at this roster. Um, but before I start rambling on and, and off topic, sorry. But um, 
I definitely say that this team did a good job in terms of surrounding Giannis with shooting, with shooting, excuse me, just because having Kyle Korver there, and he's a guy that I've said you can't really play a lot of minutes. You can't really play him a lot defensively as much as you, you want, but obviously he's a guy who shoots about 40% from three on a, any given year, but has shown obviously certain dips in terms of uh, his production with Cleveland and obviously in Utah as well, that the second uh, tenure he had, but guys like Ilya Sova being there, Wes Matthews was big, you know, Aaron, even Eric Bledsoe, he did shoot 35% from three and Chris Middleton obviously being there. But to me, I just feel like as much as I'm, kind of complimenting these complimentary pieces. I do feel like a lot of this uh, team's attack does rely on what Giannis can do. And to me, I think that's a bit of a flaw. And you kind of saw it in the games that they didn't have them won because they couldn't really generate a lot of offense. Obviously, we've seen what guys like Dante DiVincenzo can do when, they, when they're given the opportunity. Obviously, at Villanova, he had proven that he could be a guy that really comes out and can have a big game and he can do it for a consistent basis if he gets the playing time. But obviously at the next level, he hasn't really been able to display that. But in the last couple of games, he was given some teams, some, uh, some buckets, man. And he's a guy that can obviously do a lot defensively and offensively. He really needs the basketball. So um, it didn't really necessarily lead to wins, but I thought it was a good sign for them going forward. If they're going to, eventually play whether it's this year or even next year for next season but I still think that the problems that are kind of posed to uh, proposed to them is what are you going to do when teams load up on Giannis and I think this is still an issue with Giannis I know he's a guy that I have praised him in terms of the steps he has taken in his game and I think that that three ball being at 30 percent needs to be up that's something that he's worked hard on uh the free throw shooting as well being in the 60s is something that it really poses a threat because one, especially if it's going to be driving kick and we saw in the Toronto series last year where teams can load up and if he's not going to make the right passes or if guys aren't going to make the shots and them being in the middle of the pack from three as a team collectively, as much as I did shout out those guys, them being in the middle of the pack shooting wise does pose a, a bit of a flaw to me. So I, that to me, I know Bud was potentially leading this team to a very historical season until their last stretch before everything shut down. But I just didn't see Bud being the guy that necessarily um, really was the coach of the year to me. I, I did think that a huge chunk of what they did did belong to Giannis. So I do rank them third in terms of my top three, but I'm just going to move on to uh, Oklahoma City, which is a team that a lot of us didn't necessarily feel that they were going to be a, a very uh, competitive team. Maybe they would have been a bottom feeding playoff team, but hey, man, this team was proving uh, that they could do otherwise. So let's dive into. So moving on to Oklahoma City, this is a team that a lot of us have seen. We've seen them at one point. They had three. MVP winners, um, obviously being um, led by Kevin Durant, a guy that's arguably top 10 to 20 player, depending on where you rank him all time. Uh, he's clearly, you know, probably the hardest guy to guard in NBA history, but also um, pro probably the, the greatest scorer in NBA history in terms of the stuff he can do. But um, as another topic for another conversation, but 
a lot of us have been real critical of what decisions they made. As I, the reason why I kind of brought up that three MVP thing is because obviously Westbrook was the last guy standing in terms of that, and we kind of wondered, hey man, this team really missed the window. How were they going to address it? They addressed it by you know sending Westbrook for Chris Paul, and obviously trading away Paul George to the Clippers, even though his deal wasn't up. And um, obviously that kind of led to what, you know, Westbrook kind of saying, hey, like we may as well pursue um, a trade and move on. But I think OKC has done a good job, not only front office, obviously the addition of uh, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, you know, Chris Paul's a top 10 point guard of all time. Dennis Schroeder is a guy that they had, but, didn't necessarily um, live up to everybody's expectations in terms of what he did in Atlanta. And even with OKC, he was a good source of scoring, but, you know, it kind of, it didn't really work with Westbrook, especially because they both aren't really knockdown shooters. So that's kind of a bit of a problematic uh, mix there, depending on uh, what you run into in terms of the playoffs. And Danilo Gallinari was a guy that, um, has been productive when he's healthy. He's been a guy that's been very coveted at trade deadline pretty much every year, it feels like. Um, just because he's a guy, he's very uh, very multifaceted in terms of what he can do on offense, can pass, can shoot, can score. He can do – he's he's 6'10", he's 6'11", 6'10", 6'11". He's a guy who can play uh, the three to the five, depending on what lineup you have. And I thought um, he was a guy that really was very uh, productive – um, made use of his year. Obviously, you should go in 41% from three. And then, obviously, Steven Adams being pretty much the only guy who was part of that nucleus that uh, kind of uh, self-destructed in a way with the couple runs they had in the postseason. But um, to me, I thought this team really exhibited good coaching because just looking at the film and looking at the success that guys like Shea, Chris Paul, Gallinari had and having a lot of new guys um this team didn't necessarily have a lot of the guys that they did play in their lineup one as what whether they were G League guys or guys who weren't in the league or two guys that simply just weren't on their team or didn't necessarily have as big of a role and I thought you know the way that Donovan used that three guard lineup you kind of look at that Clipper team you kind of saw some similarities I know people may say oh man like He's just using Doc Rivers' system or he's using something similar to that. That's not very that's not a very uh appealing thing to some people, but at the same time, that, that shows good coaching. I think a lot of people kind of overlook things, especially when you look at that's why a lot of you just look using an example, is why people had problems with Luke Walton in LA. They kind of felt like he didn't really necessarily use that team's um talent based on uh you know what intangibles that team those players had on that team. And a lot of the sets that he used didn't necessarily reflect what Brandon Ingram could be or what, you know, what kind of passer uh, Lonzo could be or whatever the case was or, or LeBron. I can go on and on, but I think Billy Donovan has exhibited the three guard lineup and having Gallinari and Steven Adams. Steven Adams is a rim protector. He doesn't necessarily do it at, at a level to, to my leg in terms of where it's like, okay, he's a top center in the league he's probably in that second tier of centers but he's still a very good center a lot of teams would like him he's a guy who's in his 20s very young very strong a guy he, he really commands a lot of respect uh in terms of his opponents at least watching the games but using the three-guard lineup 
And having those two up front in terms of Gallinari and Adams, you have a shooter and you have a guy that can finish anything, give vertical spacing uh, in terms of the the use of Chris Paul, um, having him as a playmaker, having him play off the ball, having Shea and Shooter, they all kind of take turns. And I think there was a perfect mix in terms of what this team had. Um, obviously, incorporating new guys like uh, Lou Dort, uh, Terrence Ferguson was a guy that was on their teams before, but didn't necessarily, you know, get a lot of shot attempts. Nerlens Noel, another guy that showed flashes. And I thought this team did a very good job in terms of, um, you know, really using this the role guys in a good way because of the three uh, three headed monster that they had on the perimeter was very unselfish. One and two, they had a good balance of in terms of slashing and vertical spacing. Um, I know this team doesn't necessarily jump out at you in terms of the names they have off their bench in terms of guys like Muscala and Abdul Nader, but those guys did come in and did contribute. And I think we can't overlook the impact of uh, the coachings just just simply because, you know, you have a turnover of a lot of new people, just even in a lifestyle perspective, being in a new job, adapting to new people, it's not easy, and obviously in the games that they showed, um, OKC was the team that, to me, that surprised a lot of people, but I think a lot of it had to do with, one, yes, the personnel was better than we thought, but at the same time, I think we can't overlook the coaching aspect of it, but just going to go on to the Toronto Raptors. This is a team that very had a, a big amount of um, doubters, a, high, a huge amount of doubters in terms of what this team could do and I think Nick Nurse, in in the same kind of way, and, and maybe even better, kind of displayed how he was able to adapt, which is, I think this is a big, as you guys will see, this is a big topic of a discussion in terms of what makes a coach of the year the coach of the year in terms of the league. So let's move on to the Raptors and why I personally think that Nick Nurse has this wrapped up. They went the right side post up with the Danny Green feed, and then they went with that. I mean, if you're a player, you just love that. When a coach calls your number, looks you in the eye, and says, man, I believe in you, right? And, again, he is just awesome. So just uh, moving on to the Raptors, the defending champion Raptors. A lot of people seem to overlook that uh, part of th part of things in terms of, uh, um, you know, what this team has accomplished. Not even just – uh, with the championship, but since the 2014 to 2020-20 period and where we're currently at, this team's been a playoff team, had some early heartbreaks, um, made adjustments in terms of uh, Masai making adjustments, um, obviously bringing Kawhi in um, for DeMar DeRozan, obviously that was a big one. And then obviously during that, obviously that offseason, uh, getting rid of Dwayne Casey and implementing Nick Nurse, a guy who was in the system in terms of uh, the Raptors, was one of the assistant coaches for years, helped helped with the skill development and obviously being the lead assistant. There was a lot of uh, speculation in terms of what type of impact he would have, and a lot of people really felt that he was very successful just because of Kawhi, but obviously this year has he has exhibited why 
Uh, the team was not just entirely uh, based on what Kawhi's ability could do in terms of team success, but just looking at the games played, and this is a team that's had, for those of us that obviously being in the GTA, <clears throat> excuse me, watching the Raptors, um, a lot of guys missed time. And if you had told anybody that Terrence Davis and OG Ananobi would lead this team in games played, we would have thought it was Mo Pete back in 03 all over again when uh, Vince Carter missed most of that season. And then, if I'm not mistaken, Mo Pete actually led them in scoring. And that team won about, what, 29 games, if I'm not uh, mistaken. So if you looked just at those numbers, you would have thought, hey, man, this team's in for um, a rough year, a long year. But credit to Nick Nurse, man. He, I have said that the Raptors, they didn't necessarily rely heavily on their bench, which is something that was a concern of mine um, in terms of what they had. But the emergence of guys like Norman Powell, um, Serge Ibaka was big in terms of what he could do. It, it, he is in a contract year, um, probably looking to earn that last paycheck. But uh, regardless, I think he he was a big reason why this team stayed afloat, especially when Marcus Gasol with his legs being uh, pretty much – looked like he was running through um, – through mud or something. I don't know. Maybe it's, it was uh, the finals run and the uh, World Cup run. He's not really a guy that's necessarily that fast regardless, but um, the player Serge Ibaka was some, somebody that propelled them not only to be a team that was in the playoffs, but as a two seed. And having a guy like Kyle Lowry, obviously a guy that many people thought that he was going to be a guy that was going to end up traded. But at the same time, um, Kyle Lowry's had his numbers are up based on what he did last year. Um, he was about 15 points per game. And then you look at his numbers for this year, it was 20 points, five rebounds, eight assists. Obviously, Fred averaging 17 a game, Pascal 23 and seven. Um, the aforementioned uh, Norman Powell going 16 points, uh, four rebounds, and shooting well from three on the year going 39%, which is something that a lot of people kind of called on him because people would have looked at his numbers and said, oh, he's a guy that knocks down a lot of shots in the regular season, but come postseason, obviously the stakes are higher, but I thought he did do a lot of growing up. But we did see a lot of emergence in terms of what guys could do. And, of course, Serge Ibaka going 16-8. and eight. But um, I think as much as those numbers do uh, kind of jump out at you in terms of points per game and field goal percentage, and so on and so forth. I think the coaching of Nick Nurse, not really using the bench very, very, and very uh, consistently, I would say, in terms of um, he wouldn't necessarily play the same guys in terms of what game was played. In terms of, uh, let's say they played the Lakers, he would use length. Uh, they'd, they'd play against a team like Milwaukee, he would kind of do the same thing, um, just a match of length. And then, obviously, going to a team – in, in the Clippers, um, they didn't really have a good matchup in that game. They got killed, but just game to game, I think he did a good job. Obviously, the Dallas game going with the full court press, realizing that a lot of uh, what Dallas did, they relied heavy on uh, in terms of what Luka could do in terms of their creating on offense and going with very unconventional uh, defenses, which is something that a lot of people kind of found a little wacky. Obviously, you'd go boxing one during the final run that they had um, with Steph Curry being the guy and 
when Clay would sit or even when Clay got hurt and KD obviously missing did um, play a role in that in terms of what offense Golden State could do. Uh, sorry, in terms of production. But I think from game to game, you always see Nick Nurse making, making adjustments. He's not going to play Terrence Davis um, uh, in terms of um, minutes. Obviously, he ha- as I've said, he he does lead this team in terms of games played. But at the same time, you look at it and you say, hey, man, he's he's averaging 17 minutes of games. But he, he did have a few games where he played maybe two minutes, played – 20 minutes. It, it's it's game to game with him. And that's one thing I would say about Nick Nurse, um, especially with this team having a lot of guys in and out of the lineup, having Serge Ibaka even missed time, Marcus Gasol missed time, Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Fred Van Vliet, excuse me, I think I got tongue-tied there, um, Norman Powell and Pascal. Every guy he plugged in, it was based on game to game matchups. And that's something that a lot of people kind of felt with uh, Dwayne Casey wasn't a good thing. I've mentioned this many times, but just the game-to-game adjustments and just having a lot of guys in this time, man. It's, it's, it's a very big uh, hole to fill when you have a guy like Kawhi Leonard leave your team. But I think this boils down to the coaching uh, job that Nick Nurse does. Um, looking at Dwayne Casey, you could – and I, the reason why I'm comparing the 2018 team to 2020 team, obviously that team was led by um, DeMar DeRozan. As great as DeMar was, I think – some of it had to do with him, but also a lot of it had to do with Dwayne Casey. And you kind of saw during that game, uh, what, game three when they played Cleveland, they made that run where DeMar sat pretty much the whole fourth quarter. And you saw the versatility that Toronto had on defense when they would play guys like Pascal, play smaller lineups, play Serge at the five, play Pascal at the five, depending on what lineup Cleveland offered. But you kind of saw you saw those things only in that game. You didn't see it for a long period of time, which was eventually his downfall. And you see with um, Nick Nurse, the ability to manage things game to game. I think that's something that a lot of people tend to overlook. I know you're you're probably going to look at it like, hey, man, you're supposed to have a strict rotation. But especially with this team, when guys are fully healthy, you see that Nick Nurse doesn't really – he usually plays about seven, eight guys, which is typical for playoffs. But – that eighth guy may change depending on what uh, the game or the series may offer or whatever the case is. So kudos to him. Uh, so that's my breakdown, guys. I, I got Nick Nurse taking this trophy. I think that's uh, something that can be overlooked. A lot of times we tend to kind of hate on people and think that, hey, man, a lot of people have help. But when people have their backs against the wall in terms of Nick Nurse, it didn't necessarily – maybe they didn't look at it like that. But I personally – I did in terms of uh, – what a lot of people expected from this team and having guys miss time. You, you saw Nick nurse kind of exhibit why he's the best coach in the league, in my opinion. So let me know what you guys think. Appreciate all the love and support. Please stay safe out there. Take care y'all. That's all folks.